welcome to episode one of Consultant Speak, the brand new podcast brought to you by Russell Partnership Collection, Europe's leading food and technology consultancy. Founded by Professor David Russell in 1989, Russell Partnership Collection has worked with over 600 clients across 30 countries in six continents. This podcast is for you if you work in or are interested in the hospitality, major event, higher education, technology and leisure industries. We'll be speaking about learning from life experiences, have guest speakers sharing their wisdom and discuss important topics relevant to the food and technology industry. Let's start with an introduction to our hosts. I'm Charlotte Harbour. I've been working with the Russell Partnership Collection for eight years and I'm currently working as the business manager and head of nutrition. Our chairman, David, founded the company over 30 years ago with a vision to make a positive difference. Finally, Peter Russell, who has been with the business for 10 years and is now our operations director for Russell Partnership Technology. Today we're going to be interviewing one of our hosts, Professor David Russell. Many of you who are listening will have met, seen or heard David through different channels, whether that be a speech, strategic meeting or public engagement. David is a Professor of Tourism, Hospitality and Leisure, Chairman of the Royal Society of Medicine Commercial Services Board and is a Freeman of the City of London, which for our listeners means David is able to take a flock of sheep over the Tower of London. Welcome to Consultant Speak, David. It's currently November 2020. We're in the middle of a second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Firstly, how are you? And how has RP been coping as a business? What a great way to start, Charlotte. So thank you very much indeed for the introduction. Well, first and foremost, I'd like to say that I'm still vertical. So that's a positive (laughs) in terms of these times. And secondly, uh, we are very, very agile in terms of the way we work as a business. And that's helped us through what has been some of the most testing times I think any of us will ever see and certainly have seen. So in terms of how has the business survived, principally because we have that agility to be small and move quite quickly, quite fortunate in terms of way in which the business has worked. But perhaps in terms of lessons, one of the things it's also taught us is how important resilience is. And resilience not only in terms of the business, so that's the way in which the business is built financially in the way in which the clients are structured but also in terms of the human aspect of the resilience of the business so making sure our teams are fit well and can keep working and enjoying what they're doing through what has been such testing times. So David you just mentioned the word resilience I would love it if you could just spend a few minutes talking to us about what resilience means to you and how it plays out within RP. What a lovely question. So yeah, resilience to me is one of those fundamental aspects of human life and business life. So in terms of humans, let's deal with that part of it first in terms of the way in which we operate. So first, you need to be able to look after yourself. And secondly, and more importantly, often you need to be able to look after the team of people who are around you. So in terms of resilience for me, I was lucky my life started off in sport. That meant I was very, very active for the first 20 odd years of my life probably too active, so my muscles tell me now. But in terms of what it did teach me was that you do have to look after your inner self in terms of the way you operate. So I am very, very keen on thinking about what I eat, the way in which I eat, taking enough sleep, balancing that with uh, the well-being of all the aspects of sort of mental thinking as well as physical thinking. When we then talk about the aspects of the resilience of the business That's really, really important. So we've been so fortunate through the 
the decades that we've existed to be able to build resilience in terms of our relationships first and foremost. So banks are important in terms of businesses and we've had a relationship with our bankers for over 30 years in terms of that aspect. Your team of professional advisors around you is also very, very important. Our lawyers uh, have been with us for 30 years, so have our accountants. So building your team in terms of your external partners is really, really important. Then just just very, very briefly, the most important is the people you work around, keeping them and helping them stay well and fit and motivated in terms of difficult times that we've all faced. And you can do that in lots of different ways. We, for example, sent out just at the break uh, of COVID-19, we sent out a little hamper to everybody, uh, which not surprisingly, Charlotte, you won't be surprised to hear that because you sent that hamper <laughs> to everybody in terms of that. But that had supplements. It had uh, ways of keeping ourselves together in terms of our, our inner strength. We also operated, obviously, our, our sort of weekly conversations, our quiz days in terms of keeping us together as a team. And the more you think about business realistically, the analogy always in my mind comes back to sport. And it's not just one player that makes a winning team. It, it's the whole team and making sure that they are given the tools to be able to do the job. Thank you for that, David. That was um, really lovely. And um, no, I'm not surprised to hear about the um, hampers. We very much enjoy putting those together full of brilliant things such as vitamin D, vitamin C and green tea for any of you out there who may be wanting to make some of your own. So um, moving on from resilience, um, would you spend a few minutes talking to us about life before RP? Well, of course, there wasn't life before RP. It was from birth. So, so yeah, the first 20 years of my life, I would describe as completely fulfilling in terms of the way in which they operated. I'm a Doncaster-born lad. Therefore, the first 20-odd years of my life were uh, spent in the lovely town of Doncaster in South Yorkshire. That was amazing for me because the majority of it was spent um, playing sports rather than going to school, uh, which perhaps I uh, regret marginally now, but I have lots of lovely people around me to teach me great things now, which is great. So yeah, the first 20 years involved lots of activities, primarily really great education in a grammar school in Doncaster, uh, which then progressed into going to Leeds Polytechnic as it was at that time to do hospitality, uh, hospitality degree in terms of uh, that time. That was three years in Leeds and it probably taught me lots and lots of things like how to cook, how to look after myself and that was pretty useful in terms of the hospitality business. I was able to take up some really good fun part-time jobs working in the nosebag in Leeds making pizzas and pastas for eight hours a day which was really exciting and um, combining that with the ability to be able to do some real great studying. After that I was fortunate to get a position with the Forte graduate scheme came down to London in terms of spending time working in the Cumberland and Marble Arch and the Beristead at Ascot, two great hotels. So my birth into the hotel business was at that particular point. What did I learn? Well, the first thing I learned was about how important relationships were going to be in the life, in my life. And those relationships, are many of them were founded then and are still with me. So the guys I was Growing up with in my 20s, uh, I'm still around lots and lots of them. And it's been lovely to see their progress through the industry. It's been fantastic. 
in that respect. After spending some time in hotels in London, I moved up to the Lake District to take on board a job as a food and beverage manager of three hotels in the Lake District, the Bellsfield, the Burnside and the Old England. These hotels were two and a three star, two three star and a four star hotel on the, the banks of Lake Windermere. Amazing opportunity. Worked with some really, really mad people because we were trying a brand new concept where we only had one management team rather than three management teams to run the hotels. It had been tried by Forte before in Sardinia, been a great success. It was incredibly challenging in the Lake District, running up and down the hills to make sure breakfast was being served in all the hotels at the same time. Following that, I got the opportunity to go and join Little Chef as a regional manager. Amazing experience in terms of really understanding brands and the way in which you put brands together and how you operate brands to deliver consistency for the company. It was a growing company at the time. It was full of life. We worked so, so hard. And, and sometimes I I do laugh about the opportunities that um, I was given my first red Ford Sierra to drive around Liverpool and North Wales and use basically payphones to talk to all of the uh, you know the managers in the units. So mobile phones must have made life so much easier in that respect. But it was great to understand the brand. I then went on to work with Leatherby and Christopher in terms of their mobile and event business, then took over the role as a group managing director for town and county, which was then to the largest independent caterer uh, in Europe, actually, at the time. Then to return to Forte to be the training director and then the food and beverage director for the 240 hotels uh, up and down the UK. It was at that time, after two or three years, I remember a great experience of sitting down with Lord Forte and saying, I know this is probably the best job in the world for me, but I'm 29 and I think it's a good time for me to disappear and set up my own business. That was the start of Russell Partnership. Wow, so that sounds very busy and vibrant and I'm sure you learned a lot along the way. So you left a secure job in the most prestigious hotel company in the world at 29 years old to set up your own business in a cupboard with a telephone, as I'm led to believe. What led you to create the Russell Partnership? So lovely um, in terms of how, how that all came together. And one of the points that you talked there, Charlotte, about was this opportunity of learning in my prior to creating the Russell Partnership. And perhaps I didn't really touch enough on some of the things that I did learn. I talked about the importance of relationships in terms of the evaluation of how life moves on and how those people stay with you for a long time. I talked about the importance of learning about brands. But the other aspect I think I learned... And this was not through strategic planning, this was through good fortune, was that breadth and depth of experience is really, really important. So those that first decade of my life took me through running a, a kitchen, having three weddings every day of the year, every day of the week, uh, with a busy restaurant uh, with functions of 200 going on. It took me through the accounts departments, it took me... Uh, through the opportunity of setting up large-scale major events, through five-star hotels to two-star hotels. And that breadth of experience has been, you know, just so significant in being able to set the business up in terms of going forward. So one thing I certainly learned is take the opportunity to touch lots of these sectors to be able to gain the experience that you can from breadth and depth of experience. So uh, in answer to your question, which was what an earth left, took me to sort of leave uh, 
166 High Holborn, sixth floor on a glorious office to take on board a cupboard and a phone in Kensington? Very good question. <laughs> so at the time, I was the food and beverage director. We were just at the point of installing all of the brands into our hotels. And I had a team of 30 absolutely amazing people who worked with me, many of whom are still around. Some, I'm afraid to say, uh, are not with us. But many of them are still around doing absolutely fantastic jobs. But they're certainly doing an amazing job at the time. And we were putting branded restaurants into our hotels to create consistency, drive value and drive revenue. And in fact, it did all of those things. But we were a little bit short of real strategic planning and we were a little short of a partner to help us do that. And I spent about six months of my time looking around the sector to try and find an independent consultancy who could really act as our right hand And I just couldn't find one. So my conversation on leaving was very much driven by, I believe there's a gap in the marketplace for a strategic consultancy, not one that just told people what time it was, but did something operationally positive. And to be fair, that's where our our vision and mission came from, to make a positive difference. And... I had a great conversation on leaving with Lord Forty, which was one of, right, I'm off to go and do this. And he said, David, you just need to remember realistically that sometimes there's a gap in the market and you're going to be incredibly successful or there's a gap in the market because everybody's tried it and they failed. And it was just an amazing thing for an old man to say to you because it was so wise. And after about six months of sitting in my cupboard waiting for the phone to ring, I realised that perhaps the latter was a very good piece of advice and perhaps this wasn't the thing to do in terms of building the business. Uh, I'd left, as you quite rightly said, this very, very secure job in terms of activity. Um, At a time, I suppose, when the market was was dipping, you know, it was the end of the 80s, it wasn't really the most amazing time to set a business up. But what a joy it was when the phone rang one day um, from a chap called Tito Chiandetti, who unfortunately isn't with us these days, but was an amazing mentor of mine, saying, David, there's a great opportunity here for you to go and work with British Airports Authority. They need a food strategy for Gatwick Airport, as it was then, in terms of the opportunity to create both landside and airside food offers. That was the start of the business. I believe it was a £100,000 job, which in those days was a massive amount of money. And that was an amazing platform for how it all started. So the first six months were pretty painful. But after that, we, we had a little bit of a very, very welcome kickstart to how the business evolved. Wow. Amazing story, David. And so uh, eloquently put, as always. So you saw a gap, you went for it. And 30 years later, here you are. So have there been clear stages in the business's evolution? I think it's a lovely, lovely question. And only with hindsight do you understand that there are clear stages. So we're talking about three decades, and perhaps I can break it into three 10-year periods. So the first 10 years, which is true of any business, I'm absolutely sure, were really, really tough. You accepted jobs you really shouldn't have accepted. You worked on tasks that you weren't happy with because you wanted to do better than you were doing. You struggled with money, you struggled with 
balancing resources to do good jobs. So the first 10 years was really, really tough in that respect. But what it also did was create an amazing foundation for the work that we were doing at that time, primarily in the university sector. And this, again, is another learning point for me, is that, you know, this is a massive, massive part of our food and beverage business, often under-talked about in terms of operations. So you can take universities at the scale of Manchester and Birmingham, where there can be up to 30,000 students, their food revenues can be between 15 and 20 million in terms of the universities. They're massive food businesses. And we were really, really fortunate that we got a break to work with Warwick University very early on. We changed fundamentally there all of their food operations and taking them from what was very institutional food to being high street food. And so my first lesson in that respect was do look at the niches, do look at opportunities that you believe might not be there because they they are there. And it reinforces my point. A chap called Roy Tutty, who was the deputy managing director of Forte when I was there, rang a friend of his, Andrew Payne, who was the commercial services director at Warwick and said, I know you need some help with your food, David, your guy. And there we are. That was our break into the university sector. And here we are 30 years later, I think having worked for nearly 97% of the universities within the UK. So that was, a, that was an amazing opportunity, an amazing break. So the first 10 years, that first decade, very much focused around universities and taking them through the journey from institutional to high street food, but also thinking about the way in which we might develop nutritionally dense menus in terms of uh, feeding students to ensure they were able to be learning and effective in terms of the way in which they were being being taught. So first 10 years, very busy in terms of universities. After that evolves more into the corporate world in terms of activities, working with large scale blue chip organisations, the BBC, Accenture, people of this nature, where the sort of the office environment was blooming at that time, very different to today, but was blooming at that time in terms of how do we ensure that our workforces are well fed within our offices? How do we ensure that we're getting the best from our partners in terms of our outsourced partners often in that in that operation? And I think realistically the third tranche of time has been focused around major events and large complex scale food and beverage, which we couldn't have done unless we'd done the first two decades of our experience. So that that really kicked off in terms of our appointment with London 2012 in terms of doing the Olympics, which certainly was a, a massive milestone in our history. Okay, so let's talk about the London 2012 Olympic Games. So Russell Partnership won the bid to create the food strategy in 2007 through an open tender, uh, helped no doubt through your breadth and depth of experience in the higher education and business markets. So winning that bid to deliver 14 million meals was no mean feat, David and Goliath, as it's known in the office. So tell us, how on earth did you pull that off? (laughs) So what a lovely, lovely question. And I, I want to start with the fact that we learned so much through the process. And one of the things, obviously, as a business we love doing is transfer of knowledge. And the first response to the question is we did something different. And the second response is we believed. And if there are two important things in life, 
And in terms of our business, those two words, doing it differently and believing are really, really important. So doing it differently, we were asked in that open tender to write 10,000 words related to why we should win the job. We didn't do it. We created a picture. And that could have gone either way in terms of the way in which it was assessed as a piece of government procurement work. It could have been, well, they're different and isn't that great. Or it could have been, that's just completely non-compliant and they're out. So we did take risks through this process. It was a process that took over six and a half months. We definitely were the smallest, I would have thought, in terms of businesses that were bidding for this. It was as you quite rightly, Charlotte, say, it was very much uh, a David and Goliath opportunity for us. But I think that's where the belief and the passion came from. This was an opportunity to combine lots of our loves, the love of sport, where all of our life experience, certainly mine, started, but also the ability to be able to produce amazing food in large scale whilst personalising the aspects of that and our passions for Delivering that in terms of green games and the way in which we wanted to take that forward was really fantastic. So I'd say it was about hard work, passion and doing something different. So that sounds like a huge catalyst for the business uh, in terms of the major event world. So could you tell us a bit more about some of the major events you've worked with over the past decade? Yeah, of course. That was fantastic. It was an amazing platform. And to be quite honest, all of the work that we did through London 2012 was very much about creating what we thought was going to be a picture book for people to follow in the future. So uh, when Sebco originally sat down with us and said, please write the strategy, and he pushed a piece of plain paper across the table and said, that's what we've got to go on, um, we did take stock and think wouldn't it be marvellous in future games if there was a process to follow, if there was a storybook that could be followed. And that certainly has followed in previous games, which we were really, really pleased about. That also complied with our ability to be able to pass on knowledge through the process. So I had an amazing opportunity to work through that with some amazing people in that respect. During 2012, we made some great friends, whether they were athletes, whether they were organising committees, or whether they were countries. And that did take us into an explosion in the major event world. We were lucky enough to then follow on with the Winter Olympics in Sochi in 2014. And so many stories, Charlotte, one day to tell you about Mm -hmm. that. That then took us into doing some of the financial modelling for Rio in 2016, The Rugby World Cup followed, well, actually just before that in 2015. And again, we've been lucky enough to do that in Japan in 2019. So a whole explosion of sports. And through that time, all of these activities were also supplemented and complemented with the fact that we had a technology business. So our technology business started at exactly the same time as our consulting business. It was... Uh, again, a, a disruptive innovator in the industry. It was all about computer-based management simulations. We were probably 10 years ahead of where we should have been, and the business now is maturing greatly. We were fortunate in last year to be able to buy our American competitor in terms of that, so we've got great global presence in that in terms of what we're doing. But combining technology and food together certainly has been a unique feature of what we've been able to do through the period of time, through those events. And it's certainly built into all of our proposals that, yes, we're all about food, 
but we're also about using intelligent technology to help us through that time. So in Japan, we were able to train all of the temporary staff across the 12 stadiums in terms of the, some of our learning management platforms. They were used, it was translated into Japanese, etc., etc. So being able to combine learning, teaching and food was really, really exciting for us. And that platform in major events has really been a mainstay to us. The last thing I'd say about it realistically is that when we did London 2012, we genuinely believed that was the last and well, it was the first and last major event that we would undertake. Little did we know that we would be involved in nine of the last 10 large scale major events around the world. So as you've just said, we've um, enjoyed a lot of success in major events over the last 10 years. However, we've also worked with 90% of universities in the UK and 400 worldwide. Could you tell us more about higher education and what role RP are playing in it? Yeah, lovely. Very, very happy to talk about that in terms of where we're at. The breadth of the universities we've worked with, as you quite rightly say, is really, really broad. And the first thing we learnt about the sector is every single university has its own DNA. It is completely different. Completely indifferent in completely different in terms of the student groups that they attract, different in terms of the infrastructure, whether it's in a city or out of a city in terms of where they operate, and different in terms of the subjects that those students are studying. So you've never we have never been able not that we would want to we've never been able to cut and paste within the university sector because each one is very very individual so we learned that really really early on that there wasn't one key message it wasn't this is the right menu for everyone this is the right operating style it's either in-house or outsourced it's very very independent uh, and very very separate in terms of the way in which you have to look at universities is the first point the second point i think is we've always tried to take universities with us on the wave so it's no good being ahead of the wave or behind the wave it's actually best being on the on the wave just understanding what's current so when I mentioned earlier the fact that we were really driving from institutional catering to high street catering, that was really driven by the fact that that's what the customer needed. That's what the student and staff of these establishments needed at the time. So now, for example, we're working with universities, dealing with the issues of COVID in terms of delivered meals to student residences, the way in which we can buy in products from operating central dark kitchens to be able to ensure that we've got a constant food supply, being able to help universities think through what the future might look like in terms of staffing levels, taking those tough decisions that we have to all make in terms of reimagining and restructuring the way in which the business will operate. So it's always a market that's full of challenges and full of having to think differently. And it is a market I still believe requires fascinating attention from us in that respect. Lovely. Thank you so much for that, David. So uh, please do tell us, what is next for RP? Well, of course, it's always the market that takes us in terms of the, the future of where we will be going. But we've got some really, really exciting opportunities ahead of us. We're right in the middle of the creation of what we will believe will be a groundbreaking joint venture which I am sure in a future podcast we will talk at length about in terms of using all of the partnership skills to work with 
a world leading other partner. So we would love to talk, I'd love to talk about that going forward. In terms of our technology business, uh, stronger and stronger growth there. We've extended our capabilities in terms of virtual training and engagement with the organization. So we'll see a lot more on that front. Our American arm in terms of that business is constantly growing. It's where a lot of our software is also developed in that respect. So we've got a, a hub over there where we're we're building on constantly over here in terms of the consulting business. Really new, interesting challenges coming in from hotels, uh, organizers of major events around the world, obviously facing different challenges. So we see the future as being very, very rosy for us. We have spent obviously the last nine months being very, very careful in the way in which we've managed our business as everybody out there has in terms of that opportunity. But we do see ourselves as being very fortunate in having a platform to be able to grow and build for the future. For us, it's just not about size. It's about everybody in the team enjoying what they're doing and really making a positive difference. Thank you so much, David, for your time and energy today. It has been a pleasure, as always, to sit down and speak with you. I've loved learning about the beginnings of RP and hope our listeners have gained some insight into the business we both know and love. Well, thanks very much for taking the time out to chat to me. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'd leave it very much, Charlotte, with remember to work hard, play hard and build your luck (laughs) thank you that's lovely so um just for our listeners out there um you david has focused on some key learning points for us all to take away so um i've written down some of those so that we can take some time to remember them and apply them when necessary so the importance of building human and business resilience the value and longevity of relationships in business and general life for david sports built belief in teams Seize the opportunities to build breadth and depth of experience. If you see a gap, go for it. And finally, believe in yourself and others, even when the odds are against you. So thank you all so much for tuning into our first episode of Consultant Speak. This is the first of our new series and we'll be broadcasting again very soon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating as it really helps our podcast be found by others just like you. We hope you found entertaining, valuable and that it's made a positive difference to your day. Thank you so much.